please turn in your Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15 through chapter 2, verse 4 has been our focus of late. We will pray and then read the word of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15 through chapter 2, verse 4. Father, as we gather this day in your name to worship in spirit and in truth, Father, to hunger and thirst as the deer at the brook for your word, Father, may we have ears to hear, may we have eyes to see, and may we be overwhelmed by your awesomeness. Uh, Father, we draw this day to worship. Father, I pray that our hearts, our souls are eager to receive your word. And Father, I pray that you would teach this day, that your spirit would move on our hearts in such an amazing way that, Father, we can all say heartily, Amen. We have been in his presence. To you, Lord, and to you, Lord, alone. In Christ's name, Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. That is, to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or was I purposed, do I purpose according to the flesh? So that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many as the promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us in God and who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. But I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but as workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. But I determined for my own sake that I would not come to you in sorrow again. For if I caused you sorrow, who then makes me glad but the one whom I made sorrowful? This is the very thing I wrote you. So that when I came, I would not have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice. 
having this confidence in you, all my joy would be the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love for which I have, especially for you. We are looking at this context. Uh, It's a heart look at the Apostle Paul. It is a view of the heart of God's pastor. Uh, There is much uh, turmoil, there is much uh, anguish, and there is much confusion in the pastorate, I believe, today. Um, And and I I believe that if men would back away and say, what does Paul say? How does Paul respond? What does that man look like? I believe a lot of the, the turmoil that exists in the pulpits today would be removed. Um, and, and yet, when I read through this text, beginning at verse 15, um, he, he starts it off with a very... He, he's coming out of the, the fact of his conscience is clear. Uh, and, and, and I see this at times. Uh, every one of us has a conscience. Every human being has a conscience. And it will respond based on its training. What, what has it been exposed to that equals right and wrong? Uh, and, and, and you watch people that have fallen into um, drug abuse or some types of immoralities and things like this. And basically what they're trying to do is appease their conscience. Okay, And thus the war begins. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, our conscience has now been infused with the person of the Holy Spirit. All right, in the infusing of that Holy Spirit into our hearts, we now can look at the word. It will grow in us and it will, shall we say, augment our conscience. And that is what we operate by. And the Apostle Paul in 12 through 14 has already laid it out that the testimony of my conscience is clear. And yet... There were people in the Corinthian church that were attacking the character and, and the integrity of this man. And what, what happens, um, and it's still alive and thriving in our society today, is we will find something that is trivial, or it may be something that is legalistic, and once we get that, We will use it to attack a man's ministry. And what I've learned is it is not hard to find willing hearts to follow. And and I've seen it over and over and over and over and over again where one person may get their feelings hurt over a non-issue. And then the attack comes and why should we listen to this person because... Evidently, they have a character flaw. <laughs> I remember one time being accused of that. And I said, yep, you're right. <laughs> because if I didn't have a character flaw, I don't need salvation. Okay? And uh, they believed that I was being sarcastic. Um, I truly believe that if you have a character flaw, 
then you need the Lord. Okay, if you do not have a character flaw, then you don't need him. Minor. <laughs> okay. I look at Paul in this and I'll review it quickly because the last one really speaks um, simply. He was loyal in verses 15 and 16 because it was his plan to come back to them. And in doing that, he wanted the blessing and he wanted to be a blessing and he wanted to bless. Um, I wanted to come to you twice. Okay, why? Because I like being around Christians and Christians bless me. You ever thought about that? You know what? And I know, yeah, there's some cranky Christians out there. But then perhaps it's your turn to be a blessing to them. All right? But there are those that you like to be around that are a blessing. Uh, you know, you know. I think about Pastor Phillips saying, well, why don't you come to Punjab? Sure. <laughs> I'll get right on the bus. Um, and yet, I think about my dear brothers and sisters that I have ministered to and been ministered to by in Russia, and what a blessing it is. I, I think about coming here on, on Sundays and Wednesdays and, and Sunday nights and every other Tuesdays and whenever, and what a blessing it is. And, and, and I look at the body of Christ today, and that's lacking, Okay, that's like I had this discussion just this morning uh, on for a Christian to be out of the fellowship is a punishment. That's what the Bible teaches. All right. And yet, if you think about it, how many Christians today are not in fellowship? And you know what the tragedy is? It doesn't bother them. It doesn't bother them. How is that possible? How can you be bought and paid for with the price? You're not your own. You are now infused into the body of Christ in the oneness of Jesus. But I just don't want to hang out with them. I, if someone's got an answer to that one, please explain it to me. I would prefer to be punished than be blessed. I would prefer to be with the lost than the joy of the Lord. Because that's what it says. And that's just strange to me. I, I mean, I don't, I, that just is, seems strange to me. I'm sitting there going, well, I'm not sure how that works. Paul in verses 17 and 18 says... I'm not vacillating. I'm not a yes and a yes and a no and a no. And, and, and basically what they were doing, if you're challenging his character and his integrity, they would be challenging his message at that same point. And he, would, he just gives them a, am I operating in the flesh? No, I was only there for 18 months. How much of it do you think was flesh time? Okay, it, it's not like I'm an abstract being to you. You have spent time with me. We have been together daily. And you've seen me operate in the flesh how often? 
Because, see, when you get that talking out of both sides of your mouth, that's the flesh. Okay, because when God speaks through his spokesman, through his pastors, if it is a man of God, he is only speaking for the Lord. That's all. And if he's doing that in a flippant way, I would run anyway. (laughs) I would go find somewhere else. So there was an honesty in Paul saying that, you know what? God's faithful. What I brought to you was delivered by God. I, you know, it's funny because I've used this illustration before. When people think about the pastor, okay, they, some get grandiose ideas, pastors. Um, I look at the pastor as, as a table waiter. God prepares the message. And all I do is try to get it out of the kitchen and get it out on the table. I can't even make you eat it. I can't make you sit for it. God gets the message. I try to get it out without spilling anything. Set it down. Why? But you know what I've learned? God is faithful. And here's how from the pastor's viewpoint this works. Um, there have been times in my study of Scripture, whether I'm preparing for a Bible study or a preaching or, or just growing myself, um, that somebody come across your mind, boy, they need to hear this. I know you guys never have experienced that, um, but I've experienced it. And what I've learned is I can guarantee if somebody that I think needs to hear this, they won't. It's, it has always worked out that way. As soon as I think of somebody that uh, such and such needs to hear this, well, they won't be in church on Sunday. <laughs> and it's just the way it works. Why? God says, I don't care who you think needs to hear this. I will bring those who need to hear this. And I don't need your counsel or your advice. And Okay. All right. 19 and 20 of chapter 1 says that God's pastor is reliable. Same message that Paul preached, Sylvanus preached, Timothy preached, and they were all in him. All in him. Because it was the Son of God, Christ Jesus, anointed Savior. That would be the Son of God. That's who we preached. And it is reliable because ask yourself a simple question. How many promises are of God? How many are answered? That's why he lays it out. That's a a pretty serious argument if you think about it. I mean, if you just sit down and said, well, how many are the promises of God? That ought to keep you busy. Now, one of you ladies is going to fold that up in a little note and chuck it in the little. We're going to get that one there, buddy, and we're going to study that for 30 days. You watch. This is going to be great. All right. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) But yet he says, our amen is to the glory of God through us. Too many today want the glory of God by us. 
It should be the glory of God through you. I told you that time I was preaching in England, London, and I, they, they had these, they, they used to have a, in the Anglican church what they call a high message and a low message. I never, I didn't really press that issue, but they had these things like barrels and they hung them up on uh, these posts. Okay, and it was like a barrel. I mean, it probably, if you took and rounded this around, that's about all the bigger it is. Okay, and it had this rickety set of stairs that you went up the back, and I thought, you'd never get away with that in America. They'd have the, somebody after you. Anyway, but I got up there. They wanted me to bring a message on the sufficiency of Scripture, and I thought, I really like that topic, so I'm going to, I like that. So when I get up there, you're, you're kind of, you're about like this. This is what people see, except now, remember, it's rounded off barrel, all right? And, and you're kind of like this, and uh, I looked down, I, I laid my Bible down, and I looked around on, on the corner around, right there, uh, just where the people couldn't see it, but you could. It said, sir, we would see Christ. Well, Okay. <laughs> But I thought about that. I thought about that. I think about that a lot. There are too many in the pulpits today who are doing the look at me. And they'll tell you that they're doing it for Christ. But if you really think about it, it should be God through you. Why? Because you are in him. There's an authenticity, verses 21 and 22. And, and my favorite phrase in that whole segment right there is right there in the middle of verse 21, where he says, he establishes us with you. I like that phrase. I really, really like that. Because he says you have been established. You have, have a foundation. You have a, 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 an anchor for your soul. You have a firmness that can't be shaken. Who does? Even the believers in Corinth. And let's be realistic. We went through 1 Corinthians. They... They had some problems, right? And yet he says, you know what? You have been established. I have been established with you. But if you keep it in its context, because it's in Christ, you have also been anointed. We have been anointed. There is an anointing that goes on the people of God that is only eternal. You have been sealed. He has sealed us. Now the us moves to all of us. We are sealed. We have a mark on us that say we are the property of God. That makes us authentic. And he has put the Holy Spirit and he uses the word pledge here in the New American Standard. And it literally means an engagement ring. The promise of future that's what engagement rings for. We also seen that the Apostle Paul was sensitive, verse 23 through 2.1. He takes an oath. God has witness to my soul. 
And it, it, it isn't until here that he even begins dealing with why he didn't come. See, Paul didn't come back to Corinth when he said he was. And everybody was saying he can't be trusted. And he makes a statement. Verse 1 of chapter 2. The reason that I didn't come back was for my sake. For my sake. I, I, I didn't want to come back and have heartache again. Paul says, well, when I come back, I, I, I was waiting for Titus to come and give me a report on how you'd received this letter, the severe letter. And, and I wanted to know what your response was. I didn't want to come back and be hurting again. And be hurting again. See, you know, it's, it's funny. If you confront sin, okay, and you can do it maybe in an intimate relationship, one-on-one with your spouse, or you can do it, maybe you bump into somebody and there's something going on. Or, you know what, I have even at times confronted sin in a group setting just preaching. Okay, But I've learned this one thing. The response to the confrontation of sin is always the same. It just makes them mad. It just makes them mad. And then the, you'll start hearing this. He's a Pharisee. He's a legalist. He's a da 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 You know, they just throw all them stuff out. I have been called a Pharisee. I've been called a legalist. I've been called an antichrist. Um, I just about covered him. Okay, um, you know, you know, I had a guy one time tell me, he says, well, all you do is preach. Darn, I knew I missed something. I, I, but I don't understand that. You know, well, it would be through the foolishness of preaching that souls are saved. So just call me God's own fool. I don't know. But there's a sensitivity that I have to understand and you have to understand that when you confront somebody like that, the first response is always going to be the same. Okay? You don't, you know this. You've all done it. You've all dealt with it. You confront your children. What is their first response? They're mad at you for picking on them. Well, how's come you ain't picking on my little brother or my little sister or my big brother or my big sister? Blame somebody. I I just read an article this week that um, Michael Douglas's son is looking at 10 years in prison for dealing meth. Okay? And um, it's in court. And you know what his defense is? His parents were too famous. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's, I, I do it every time. But that was his defense. And I was like, please tell me you didn't pay that lawyer. Because <laughs> if that's the best he can come up with, call me. I'll do it cheaper. All right? But, but isn't that what we do? Well, it wasn't my fault. I just... And you hear it. Well, I just stumbled into fill in the blank. Really? I don't think so. It's like I go, I, I fell out of bed and sinned. 
Craziest thing you ever seen in my life. You know, I, I, remember, I remember we used to go rafting in the church. <laughs> and we liked to go in the spring. And, and I told him, I'd always tell him, I said, you know what? When that first wave comes over the bow of that boat and that hits you, um, that's some seriously freshly melted snow. Okay, so know that the temperature, um, though it won't be an ice cube, it's not far. <laughs> okay. And I had a guy come up to me one time. And he says, I don't think I can go. And I said, why is that? He says, if that water hits me like that, I know I'm going to cuss. And I just looked at him. I said, brother, don't worry about it. That water's so cold it takes your breath away. You ain't saying nothing. <laughs> you may want to cuss. But you got to move air. And they, there won't be no air coming out. It'd be more. Uh, <gasps> okay, so. When we have the opportunity, I, sometimes I look at it as a privilege to walk with a brother or a sister who has stumbled. You have to be patient. You have to be patient. Because I'll just ask one simple question. How patient is God with you dealing with your sins? Okay? And, you know, I was teaching this morning that love is patient. And, um, you know, I've, I've actually heard people say, well, I'm praying for patience. And I think, eh, great. Can you do that in another county? Um, I told them, I don't ever pray for patience. Because, because he's always teaching me patience. Okay. But Paul was sensitive. He understood that he'd confronted the problems in the Corinthian church. He'd confronted these people. And he was given it time. And he knew that if he came back too soon, there's not enough time for repentance. And if there's not enough time for repentance, he will come back into a sorrowful situation. But Paul was sensitive to this. He understood it. He understood it. In verses 2 and 3, he says that if I've got to do this thing, I've got to do it. I mean, he'll weigh the situation. We're dealing with the holiness of God, the perfection of God. And if I have to, I will. This very thing I wrote to you, verse 3 says, so that when I came, it would not be in sorrow for those who ought to make me rejoice. See, Paul says, you know what? I should have had a good time when I'm around the saints in Corinth, but you have kind of drifted off. Then I want you to look at verse 4, and this is the last of it. God's pastor will be noted... And seen, I use the illustration, the MRI of his heart will show love. Look what it says here. Out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. Now, now that's an amazing text for me because he starts it out, much affliction and much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears. With many tears. I wonder how many of us have shed tears for the saints of God. 
I wonder how many of us have looked at some of the situation, the saints of God, and it brings affliction and anguish of heart to that situation. See, Paul says, do you understand that when I, when I wrote to you, I'm not writing as an authoritarian. You know what, what I'm talking about. You've seen those. Okay. Guys got the Bible and want to smack you right in the head with it. You, you know the ones I'm talking about. And they lord it over you. I was speaking this morning on gossiping. Okay. And, and that love, and we'll look at it, that love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. And that's gossiping. We'll call it, brother, I need you to pray for this. I have this heavy burden for such and such a situation. That's gossiping. That's gossiping. I'm carrying right now three burdens, nasty burdens. I, it's one of those, uh, I wish I'd have never answered my phone call. Okay. And, and I, and I can't do anything about it. But the one guy said, you know what? I knew that if I called you, you would help me bear the burden. <laughs> and I said, I try to get the church to do that. That's not my job, man. Um, but that's why he called me. And guess we're going to open your mouth. Get ready. See, Paul says, I'm not an, author- an authoritarian. I'm not here to lord my faith over you. I- 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 I'm not here to hammer you. Have you ever seen them people? You know which ones I'm talking about? They're like this. And they walk around tormented. Because even though they're confronting sin, they're doing it for self-aggrandizement. And that'll never work. See, Paul, when he confronted sin, and he's telling these Corinthians, when I confronted this, do you understand how painful this was for me? See what we do? I know people who are more than eager to confront sin. The tragedy is it isn't painful that they have to. It should be painful. If you read the the 50 series Psalms, King David, after his affair with Bathsheba and after having Uriah killed, he says, against you, Lord, I have sinned. Right? And when you're dealing with sin in the body of Christ, do you know the effect? It is through the whole body. There should be anguish. There should be pain in your heart. And the reason that you confront it is to restore the joy of their salvation. Paul is asking him, he says, do you understand the affliction? That I had. Do you understand the anguish of my heart that I go through? Do you understand that it was through many tears? Do you understand I have a broken heart? Have you ever looked at it from that perspective? Have you ever looked at the body of Christ in anguish? Have you ever looked at the body of Christ in pain? Heartbroken. And then it hurt so bad. You were moved to tears. 
Well, I just don't think they're saved. (laughs) That should move you to tears even more. Because now the anguish is, what if they're moving to apostasy? Where the grace of God is no longer for them. That's not the way we do it, though, is it? Well, if they were really saved, they'd have repented. You know what? If you'd have truly showed the joy of your salvation and the remorse in your heart with many tears, perhaps they would have come to salvation. Paul says, I have a broken heart. And when I have to come and confront sin, do you know that it brings me to tears? Do you know that it causes me anguish? Do you know the pain that I have? My purpose is not that you should be made sorrowful. I don't get any joy out of doing that. And yet I see people who, for all intents and purposes, seem like, oh, yeah, that's, hey, yeah, right on. It's not it. That's not it. You know, I, I get calls. Well, do you think we ought to put them out of the church? Do you understand what that means? You treat them as what? An unbeliever. Okay, how do you treat unbelievers? You pray for their salvation. And you reach out to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or do you? You know, we need to put them outside the church. No, you need to bring them up to a point of restoration. You know, I carry, sometimes I carry some stuff that I, you know, I don't share. And people say, well, why don't you share that? Because if that person repents and comes walking back into the fellowship, what's your response? But if you have it in the back of your mind, well, I think that they fell into this, or I think they fell into this, I just don't think I trust them. Guess what? You ain't done nothing. You look just like the world standing in front of a Tiger Woods conference knowing that he's going to read a statement that says he's sorry. What's the difference? Which is fascinating because our next line of thought that Paul deals with is forgiveness. Hmm, I wonder why those two go together. Paul says, I don't get any joy out of this. It breaks my heart. But I want you to know the love that I have, especially for you. Now, you think about this church. Go back to 1 Corinthians. I mean, the first six chapters, he is blasting them with both barrels. It ain't until chapter 7 he says, Now, concerning the things you wrote. <laughs> and you're sitting there going, Yee! Okay, and in the things he wrote, he talks about, You guys are getting drunk at the Lord's table. You're, you've stepped into sexual immorality. And you're, you're, you're saying that single is more spiritual than married. And some of you say married is more single. You have butchered the, the feasts that we have, the love feasts that we have, the potlucks, as the Baptists would call it. Uh, you have perverted the spiritual gifts. You're not even believing in the second coming of Christ. You are exalting certain gifts as more important than other gifts. 
And I have to deal with the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. Other than that, I'm not sure you're saved. (laughs) And, And you just sit there and you go, what a bunch of knuckleheads. And then all of a sudden they start saying, well, you know, Paul's been a little harsh. I don't think that's really loving. And, you know, he said he's going to come back here and he didn't come back here. So can we really trust him? Perhaps his message was skewed. And this teaching on the Holy Spirit and this teaching on this and the teaching on salvation and teaching on the second coming. Maybe he doesn't really know what he's talking about. So what happens is the people get mad because they get confronted and they immediately what? Start the Second Baptist Church. They want to separate from the man whose love for them he shed many tears because he confronted them. Now we have another letter that is missing. The severe letter that was written sometime between 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And Titus had taken it and had come back to Paul in chapter 7 of 2nd Corinthians. He'll explain it to us that guess what? They're repenting. But see, Paul's smart enough to say, you know what? This battle isn't over. Because he's overwhelmed with his love for this people. I read this anguish and pain that he has, this affliction that he has, the shedding of tears that he has. And guess what? It's from the very people that he's confronted. They're the ones causing him the heartache. And he says, but it is because of my love, especially for you, that I did that. I want you to know that I love you so deeply that I want you to repent because I want you to know the joy and the gladness and the zeal of being a child of God. The thing that steals that joy? Sin. Sin. Somebody made this statement, a quote, and I thought it very appropriate. Quote, faithful are the wounds of a friend. See, it takes real love. Remember, he has he deals with love. Who was he writing to when he was trying to explain to the church? What love was. It's Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13. And he stops right there in the middle of verse 5. And he says, you know what? It doesn't seek its own. It doesn't seek its own. And I mean, you can hang everything else around that. It doesn't seek its own. Why? If I don't seek my own, I'm patient. If I don't seek my own, I don't brag. If I don't seek my own, I'm not arrogant. It believes all things. If it doesn't seek its own, it bears all things. If it doesn't seek its own, guess what? It'll never fail. If you don't seek your own. And if you think about it, all he did was describe who is God. (laughs) Who is God? God doesn't seek his own. That's amazing. That's amazing. People are saying, oh, wait a minute. He's, just, he's going after the saints. How many saints were his own? You were so holy that he just misplaced you. 
Was that it? No, you weren't his. You belonged to another master. And yet he's not looking out for himself, sought us out. And Paul says, I want all of us to understand this. Why? Because this is what the pastor's heart is all about. He had written the seer letter because of a great love. He had written 1 Corinthians because of a great love. And it took real love. I mean, you think about it. If you get a letter from your founding pastor, okay, and he takes a whole chapter to describe to you what Love is. You know what the implication is in that? You don't know what it is. So let me explain it to you. See, you don't explain to people what they already know. So I, if you got that letter and some guy said, we got a letter from our founding pastor. I'd like to read it to you. And he goes through and explains to you what love is. Do you know what your pastor is telling you? Whoops. I know I know what the response for the congregation is. He's talking about Larry. He heard about Larry. Listen, when I think about the critics of the Apostle Paul, all I can think is they're dead wrong. They were basically saying, You can't trust Paul, he's not loyal. Paul, he, he's not honest. He's not reliable. I wonder if he's even authentic. I wonder if God really did call him. He doesn't seem sensitive or he wouldn't hurt your feelings. And he just runs around. You know he came out of the Pharisees. So how pure is he? And I think if he's doing all them things, how in the world could he say he even loves us? And you know what? Even today, there are many wrong about the Apostle Paul. They take a trivial point of life and they build a case. They build a case. Why? They want to discredit. Let me discredit him. Because I remember uh, the person who accused me of having a character flaw. Um, it showed up in about five or six different people. All of a sudden, they all came to this great revelation that Terry has a character flaw. And I was like, duh. <laughs> How long did that take you? <laughs> and, but what I watched after that was let's undercut the message. And one of the things that's a tragedy is that people who do this will find willing ears. It's really amazing, actually. Why? Happens all the time. They want to destroy the ministry. They want to destroy the effectiveness. So, when I wrap this thing up, a man, a woman needs to examine his own heart. Examine their own conscience. And as, 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 as we look deep, can we say, 
before God. As best I know. I'm loyal to this group. I am honest before this group. I am reliable to this church. I am authentic in this church. I am sensitive to what is going on and the struggles of this church. I am pure in that I will confront it if it is wrong. And I do it based on the love of God that's been poured into my heart through the person of the Holy Spirit. Because if you can, there will come a time when you will say, I don't know why this is happening. That's what Paul is doing. What in the world's going on? He says there, but you might know the love which I have especially for you. Paul's basically saying, you know what? You know who I am. How can you turn from me to follow false? See, Paul, basically, if you use my illustration, gets an MRI and he shows God's pastor. I want to give you a little text because I want you to think about this in this outlook. Okay, Paul has already done the self-evaluation of his own conscience, right? We looked at that, 12 to 14, right? Now he shows the Corinthians and reminds the Corinthians of his heart. And his conclusion is, I want you, especially you, to know my love. Fascinating text. Comes out of the letter to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send to you Timothy, send, to, send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Some in the church would say, he's sending a spy. Okay? Now listen to what he says about Timothy. And I want you to think about this for a second. In light of the seven points that are on that outline. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests not those of Christ Jesus. Okay? Think about that for a second. Because I can take all seven of these points and say, this is a person whose concern for this group is the same as Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something. You can spot that anywhere. Because there's just not that many. What an example. What an example. It's amazing. We get through these verses. You should be so humbled that when you go over to the Philippians text, you can say, I am of kindred spirit. Same heart. 
Why? I am loyal to this fellowship. I am honest to this fellowship. I am reliable to this fellowship. I am authentic to this fellowship. I am sensitive to this fellowship. I have a purity for this fellowship. And it is all based on my love for this fellowship. They all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Define for me the church in America today. Fascinating time. That's why the Russian brother can tell me, I pray for you in America. Because in America, you add Christ to your life. In Russia, Christ is life. And if you see the response of the body of Christ this day, Whose needs are the most urgent? Christ or the individual? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. Father, thank you for the encouragement that I received from this study of my own. Father, how uh, I fall, fall so, so, so short. And yet, Lord, uh, you are faithful. Your yes is a yes, and I don't have to worry about a no. Thank you, Lord, that you grow us in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you have drawn us together this day to worship you and you alone. And, Father, may our eyes be focused upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let us consider others more important than ourselves. Let us not seek our own. And let us rejoice at following Christ in all things. To your glory and praise. Amen.